Good morning. I hope you all are doing well this morning. We are in John chapter 9 and the first part of chapter 10. We're going to be looking at a man born blind that Jesus actually healed. And let's begin in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his, his, this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Now, what are they reverting to? Sounds like Job's friends, doesn't it? <laughs> like there must be some reason this man was born blind. And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought him to the Pharisees. Jesus was doing the work of the Father, and we also are to be doing the work of the, follower, of the Father if we're followers of Jesus Christ. We know as we've seen over and over, Jesus said, I do only what the Father says. I do only what the Father reveals. We also know that Jesus would many times pull away to spend time with the Father in prayer. And if we are to follow his example, we too need to be in the Word, to know the Father, to know Christ, to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to pull apart from the world and spend time with him, sitting at his feet, conversing with him. F.B. Meyer said, What emblem could better set forth the condition of mankind than a born blind beggar? That men are blind, that they are born so, and that they are destitute and bankrupt, needing gold and white linen, and eye salve needs no proving. But amid all, he comes who is the light of the world and is able to give sight to the blind and to the poor a share in his measureless wealth. We can understand the plight of the man born blind because we too were born spiritually blind. We may have physical eyesight, but we're blind until we're brought back to life in the Spirit and God allows us to see and comprehend what is true spiritually. We see here Jesus is drawn to the one who's seeking. Could it be that the beggar, unnoticed by all the religious people of his day, heard their prayers, heard them reciting the Psalms, heard the worship, maybe even heard them talking about Jesus and his heart was turned toward God? And Jesus seeks him out. We see this in the Old Testament, do we not? With Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. Everybody had heard all the stories about 
how the God of Israel had protected them, how he delivered them from Egypt, how he had protected them in the wilderness. And her confession was all of our hearts melted within us because your God is the God of heaven and earth. Because she turned her heart toward God, God moved the heart of Joshua to send the two spies in to protect her family so that she was protected when Jericho, this military outpost, was taken by the Israelites. Here we see a man, a beggar, one that nobody else valued, one who would be brought to the temple hoping that those who were coming to pay their tithes to come to the temple to worship would feel sorry for him because they knew the God of Israel told them to take care of the poor. And he was there hoping to glean something to live on. And it is amazing how those who maybe don't have sight have increased sensitivity to hearing or even touch. And so can you even imagine all the things he heard taking place around the temple? And he heard people talking about Jesus. And remember, Jesus does what? He takes the dirt, a little bit of spit, makes some clay out of it, puts it on his eyes, and then tells him to go and wash. Now he heard the voice of Jesus. He felt the touch of Jesus, but he had not yet seen Jesus. So he goes and washes, and he comes back seeing. And what happens? Even his neighbors, the people who passed him over and over said, is this him? I mean, could it be? We've never heard of someone being healed that was born blind. Maybe someone who'd gone blind for a period of time and then was able to see, but someone who was born blind that can now see? So they didn't know what to do except to take him to the Pharisees. And that's where we'll, where we'll pick back up. Now, it was the Sabbath day on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Verse 15 says, the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now, they had added to the laws of the Sabbath and he was not keeping their additional laws. How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs, the others were saying? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Now, they're coming from two completely different premises. The Pharisees are coming from the premise automatically thinking he must be a sinner. He's broken our Sabbath laws. But the man born blind is thinking, now, wait a minute. How could a sinner perform this kind of miracle? He must be a prophet. He has to be from God. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been born blind and had received sight until they called the parents of their very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? Obviously they weren't there, but they also were afraid of the Pharisees. His parents answered them and said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. We don't know how old this man was, but he had to have been over the age of 13 to have been considered old enough to speak for himself. But since they're calling him a man, he probably was a little bit older than that. It says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. In other words, tell us the truth. <laughs> That's what they're saying. We know that this, that this man is a sinner. <clears throat> and so he then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, that though I was blind, now I see. Makes you think about the song Amazing Grace, does it not? <laughs> though I was blind, yet now I see. So they said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, had they not already asked him this? And he answered them, I told you already. What were they trying to do? They were trying to trip him up. They were trying to find if there were some discrepancies in his story as he told about what had happened. So he says, I told you already. You don't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciple too, do you? They reviled him and said, you're his disciple. We are disciples of Moses and all of their arrogance. They claim to be superior. We know that God's spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, you see this born blind beggar is instructing the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, with what is just basic common sense, right? <laughs> what should have been logical to all of them. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. Are you teaching us? So they put him out. They excommunicated him. They cast him out of the synagogue. But Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He was saved. He believed. The one he'd heard about, the one he'd listened to, the one to whom he had turned his heart had sought him out. And even after he became an outcast, cast out of the synagogue, Jesus came to find him, to reveal himself to him that this man might be saved. You know, the Pharisees did start from a faulty premise because they were focused on their law, not on what had happened. And because they had added to the laws of the Sabbath, all they could, all they could focus on was the fact that this man had obviously broken their Sabbath laws. So how could he possibly be from God? But they had added man-made laws during that 400 years of silence because they were so afraid they were going to go back to idolatry that they wrote the Talmud and they had the Mishnah, which were additional oral laws added. There were so many laws and legalistic regulations for the Jews to abide by. There was no way they could keep all of them. But they were so determined not to go back to idolatry that religion held them captive. Religion blinds and binds. They were blinded by their religion because they thought they knew what God prescribed and that they were obeying all the rules so they must be accepted by God. But instead they were bound in sin and legalism and they actually were the ones who were blind. They were unable to see. We know from scripture that we must believe to see. That belief comes first and then we get spiritual sight. Spiritual sight is given only to those with faith. Scripture is very clear that we walk by faith and not by sight. So we don't see to believe, we believe to see. God opens our eyes to what is spiritually true, what is eternal. When I thought about this, I thought about the accounts of the 12 spies in the Old Testament. Remember, there was one from each tribe, the 12 tribes, that were chosen to go in, and they were not to determine if they could take the land. They were simply to go in, scope out the land, and come back and give a report. But we know that there were 10 of the spies who went in with unbelieving hearts. And when you don't believe God, 
You can only see what's in the natural. So they went into the promised land, and all they could see were the large cities, the big walls, the fortifications around the cities, and that the Anakim, the descendants of giants, lived there. And we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. There's consequently no way we can take the promised land. Why did they not see what Joshua and Caleb saw? Joshua and Caleb had a totally different perspective on the promised land. And they came back and said, oh, no, yes, absolutely. The cities are big. They are fortified. There are giants in the land. But it is obvious God is giving it to us. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land. The fear of God is on the people. It's obvious God's giving it to us. Now, why did they see so differently? Because they went in believing and God granted them spiritual sight and they saw what God was already doing and preparing the land and giving it to them. And yet the 10, the majority, came back and gave a bad report. And how did that report of unbelief impact the masses? They began to murmur and complain, didn't they? Fear spread through the camp. And now they were saying, have you brought us out here to kill us? We should just go back to Egypt. Unbelief spread through the camp. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, you must believe. And what did they say? Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Believing is seeing. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what giants are in your land or what fortified walls seem to be impenetrable. But if you will believe and seek the Lord, he will allow you to see. And he will allow you to see that he will come in and he will provide for you and he will take down the walls and he will come and meet you in the midst of whatever your circumstance is and he will just as we are going to see in John chapter 10 because Jesus doesn't leave the company of the Pharisees and the beggar and all those who have seen this when we move into John chapter 10, he's still talking to them. So when he begins to talk about being a shepherd and the sheep and the sheepfold, he's saying it within the hearing of these Pharisees who do not believe. And he's giving them a parable to show them who he is and how they can enter into the sheepfold of God. But unbelief and fear can force out faith. Because we know faith and fear cannot coexist in the human heart. One pushes out the other. And faith must be chosen because fear is natural. Fear comes to us naturally. It's a part of our flesh to fear. And when we become fearful... We're limited to what we can see in the natural. It's just like what we looked at with Peter when he walked on the water. What happened when he looked at the waves? Fear did what? Pushed out the faith. And what happened to him? He sunk. He sunk below the storm. And Jesus, when he called out to him, reached up to him, put him in the boat. The wind stopped, and they were immediately at the other shore. God is the God of miracles. Nothing is impossible with our God. Absolutely. Can we just thank him? <laughs> Our problem is unbelief. And we saw that in John chapter 6 when Jesus told them, your job, the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. So our job is to believe. And if we will believe, 
We will see. I was talking with someone just last week that was going through a really difficult time in their life, and I said, get into the Word of God and get a word from God. Every time I have gone through a difficult time in my life, I get into the Scriptures. I dig into the Word of God, and I read until it says, though, something is in bold print. It's like it jumps off the page when you know God is speaking to you. And then I take that Word, and I put it on a three-by-five card, or I write it in my journal. I take it with me. I put it in my purse. I dwell on it. And every time that fear or lack of faith, unbelief, doubt tries to assail what God has said to me, I refuse it in the name of Jesus Christ because that is not from God and I will speak out loud the word God has given me. That's the sword of the Spirit. That's how we believe. We fight unbelief with the word of God. We stand firm against the schemes of the enemy with the word of God, with Christ as our rock, our foundation, and we speak, we profess what we know is true, even when doubts assail us, even when the enemy is screaming at us, when our flesh wants to fail, we stand on the word of God. Jesus goes after this man, after he's cast out of the synagogue, and I love that. I love the tenderness of our Savior for the individual. And he comes after the man, and the man recognizes his voice, and that's how he knows. This is the one who healed me. I know his voice. Now, I understand this because my mother um, was, is one of ten children, and she was raised in a home where her mother married a man who had a handicapped son, and she also inherited his mother-in-law, who was wonderful. But, I mean, she, we're talking family on a farm. They end up having 10 children. They have this handicapped son who's blind and crippled, and also her mother-in-law who helped with him. But that's all my mother ever knew was having William in the home. And William, being blind, had incredible hearing, had a beautiful singing voice. But when we would go visit... William knew us by the sound of our voice, but he also knew us by the sound of our footsteps. You could walk down the hallway toward his room, and he would call out your name. He knew who you were by your footsteps. So that's why there's no doubt this man born blind had incredible hearing. And the moment he heard Jesus' voice and saw him, he knew, you are who healed me. Lord, help me to believe. Tell me who it is. And Jesus said, I am. I am. I am the one. And he believed and he worshiped him. So let's move into John chapter 10. Jesus begins to tell them a parable. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. So he's speaking directly to these Pharisees. They think they're in the sheepfold, but they're refusing to come through the door. He's the door. And he says, unless you come through the door, you're a thief or a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what these things were, which he had been saying to them. So what is, he, what is he beginning to say here? All this has just happened. The man believes. He worships him. They're still here. All these people are wanting to know what's happened, you know, to verify this, this uh, miracle. And was it really Jesus that did it? And Jesus moves into a time of teaching. 
And he gives them a parable. And he says, anybody who doesn't come through the door is a thief and a robber. And he was obviously speaking to the Pharisees. And he says, there's a doorkeeper. So if there were shepherds who came into a village and there may be multiple um, flocks of sheep, they would bring them into a sheepfold and there would be a gatekeeper hired to protect the sheep during the night while the shepherds would sleep and come back in the morning to call their sheep out. And so the gatekeeper would recognize the shepherd. And the sheep would go into the sheepfold. Well, the next morning when the shepherd would come out to get his sheep, the sheep who knew his voice, their heads would pop up the moment he made his distinct call for the sheep. And they would follow him out. And it's different than maybe like herding from behind. The shepherd in the Middle East always goes before the sheep. So he is their shield. He's going before them. He's their protector. He's going to provide for them. He's going to take them to the fields where they can graze and they can eat. And he's going to be watching for animals who would come to try to come after the flock. He protects them and provides for them. He is their provision. So they stay close to the shepherd. They know their shepherd's voice. And when we were in Israel, the very first time we went, we actually saw a sheep pen made of rocks piled up. Um, And in fact, we got a picture of a sheepfold. I'll go ahead and look at that now. Um, See the picture of this sheepfold here? And you've got an opening right there. The next passage we go into, he talks about being the door. If a shepherd was not a part of the village where they hired a gatekeeper, the shepherd himself would be the door. And you see the opening there? At night when the sheep would go in, and, they, and I was reading about shepherds and sheep, they literally examine each sheep as it goes into the pen each night to make sure they don't have any wounds, that they're okay. And so each sheep is examined by the shepherd and taken into the sheepfold to be safe during the night. And then the shepherd would literally lay his body across that opening. So nothing came out or nothing went in without going through him. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. And nothing will come into your life without going through him. So you can trust him regardless of what kind of circumstances you're facing. Let's pick back up with verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In Ezekiel 34, you know, there's so many passages in the Old Testament that give pictures of God as a shepherd and us as his sheep. But in Ezekiel 34, God is reprimanding through his prophet Ezekiel the religious leaders, the shepherds of his people because they're fleecing the sheep. (laughs) They're taking advantage of them. They're not caring for them. They're getting rich off the sheep. And he's rebuking them. And he tells them in Ezekiel 34 that my King David will be the shepherd of the people. And it's really pointing to David's lineage, not David literally, that Jesus himself would be the good shepherd. That the descendant of David would be the one who would come in and really care for the sheep. Psalm 23. What was David before he became king? He was a shepherd, right? What do we know about Psalm 23? David understood that just as he cared for the sheep, God is his shepherd. What did he say? We all know at least verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. And he's, that's what a shepherd does. The shepherd feeds the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd knows them all by name. He knows them individually. And the sheep 
hear his voice. And what did it say? They won't follow the voice of a stranger. When we were in Israel that time and I, I saw that sheep pen that looked much like that, there were Bedouin shepherds out there and over to the side the sheep were grazing and there were I think three shepherds standing. It's really funny because they live in tents but they've got cell phones, you know. <laughs> They're on their donkeys talking on their cell phones. But literally. But they're standing there talking, and their sheep are just grazing around them. And one of the shepherds, as we stopped, because we're all wanting to get pictures of it, as we stopped and watched, one of the shepherds made a call, and literally you saw sheep, their little heads pop up, and they turned to the shepherd, and they followed him out. The other sheep never raised their heads. They just continued grazing because that was not their shepherd's voice. We should know his voice so well that when the voice of the evil one who wants to instill doubt and fear and discouragement starts coming, we recognize it as the voice of a stranger, not the voice of our Savior. We don't even lift our head. We don't even acknowledge his lies because we know the voice of our shepherd and we will not respond to the voice of the stranger, to the voice of the liar, to the voice of the thief because we know our shepherd. And so we only respond to his voice. The shepherd is Jesus himself. As F.F. Bruce said, he's pictured as coming to the Jewish fold and calling his disciples out. One of them, indeed, had just been pushed out. Others had come out already, and yet others would come out before long. The members of the religious establishment could not communicate with the man who had been born blind any more than he could communicate with them because they were coming from two totally different perspectives. To him, their voice was the voice of strangers. But when the true shepherd of Israel found him and spoke to him, he responded at once. This was the one he'd been longing for. This was the one to which his heart had turned. Once reading through the Bible, Deuteronomy 13.4 jumped off the page at me. It has six verbs in it, and it's a beautiful scripture to memorize, to put somewhere, and just so that you see it in your home. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. What are we to do? We're to follow. That means to go, to come after. We're to fear him, to revere him. We're to keep his commandments. That means we're going to obey his commandments. We're to listen to his voice. It literally means listen with intent to obey. God, whatever you say, I will do. This is what, exactly what Jesus said. I only do what the Father says. And then we're to serve him. We're to do whatever it is he calls upon us to do. We're to serve him as we serve others, right? When you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me, Jesus said. And we're to cling to him, hold tightly to him is literally what that means. Well, that day I looked up those six verbs and I was so excited about that verse and I put it on a card and my daughter Lindsay was in high school at the time and she called me. One of her friends was having a horrible time and she asked me if I'd come by the school to talk to her and so I did. I went by the school to talk with her and as we were talking and she began to open up her heart and share what's going on in her life, I knew this verse was not for me this morning. I didn't define those six verbs for me. That was for her. <laughs> it was for Lindsay's precious friend and I was able to pull that card out of my purse and say, let me share with you what God spoke to me this morning. And this is the word for you right now when you're discouraged, right now when you feel like you don't know which way to turn, I want you to know if you will turn to him, he will guide you. He literally goes before us. So as we read the word of God, as God speaks to us and teaches us through his word, because it is living and active, and when we open God's word, we should expect to hear from him, to meet with him, to hear our shepherd's voice as we open his word. He will speak to us, but it is rarely ever just for us. It is for us to share with those 
that he allows to come across our path, to be a word of encouragement, a word of instruction, a word of inspiration to someone who needs a word of life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We need to be those who speak life. Not critical, not complaining, but life-giving, positive, looking always for the best. And we just read that Jesus said, I am. It's his third I am statement. I am the door. He's the only way to the Father. We must enter through the door. He is not only our shepherd, but he is the door. Makes us think of John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And in this day when people want us to believe that anybody who's sincere will go to heaven, we've got to take them gently to the shepherd who said, I am the way. I am the door. And if you don't come through me, you don't enter. But he's made the way for us to come to the Father. I love the tenderness and the compassion of God. How when someone turns their heart toward him, he does whatever it takes to get someone to them, to rescue them, to share the truth with them, just as he did this blind beggar. It still happens today. We hear stories of it all the time with people God who have turned their hearts toward the Lord and God sends someone to them. Here's such a, an account recorded for us in Anne Graham Lott's book, God's Story. She tells about Elizabeth Carter. She was a young American woman who taught English in mainland China. And on a weekend outing with friends, she hiked up Taishan, a holy mountain not too far from the city where she worked. At the base of the mountain, as she began her ascent, she saw an old beggar sitting beside the path. She felt very impressed to speak with him and tell him about God. But because her friends hurried on up the path, Elizabeth suppressed the urge to stop and speak, and so she passed him by. During the afternoon of exploration on the mountain, her thoughts kept returning to the old beggar. She began to deeply regret having not spoken to him, knowing he would most likely have left before she returned. As she descended the summit in the early evening, she resolved to make the time to speak to him if he was still there. When Elizabeth reached the base of the mountain, to her eager surprise, the old beggar was still sitting exactly where he had been before. This time, she went over to him and gently began to speak to him. She told him that there is a God who created all things, and the great creator God had created him because he loved him and wanted to be known by him. She told the old man that God had sent his son to earth to die on a cross as a sacrifice for the man's sin, and that if he placed his faith in God's son Jesus, he would be forgiven and would receive eternal life. As Elizabeth continued telling the old man about God, tears began to slip down his weather-beaten face, moistening his few wispy white whiskers. Thinking she had offended him in some way, Elizabeth asked what was wrong. The old man smiled through his tears and said softly, I have worshipped him all my life. I just didn't know his name. There are people all around us seeking, hurting, broken, desiring to know, can we be more like Elizabeth and like our Savior and be in tune so that the Lord can interrupt our day to say, there's a seeker right here, and I'm going to entrust you to share the good news of me, the door, the gate to eternal life. And what does John 10, 10 tell us? The thief comes to steal 
kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the abundance. It's what Dana shared with us as we did our responsive reading. He has come to give us abundant life so that we can believe and see. And when we see, he'll allow us to see those who are seeking. When we believe, he will orchestrate events in our life to allow us to get in on what he's doing. Today, will you ask him to give you a divine appointment? And let you be the one who brings the good news to someone like this blind beggar or this man in mainland China whose heart had been turned to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Abba Father, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your tenderness, for your care of us individually and corporately. And Father, we just want to offer ourselves to you this morning acknowledging we are your sheep and we need you, our shepherd, to lead us. May we follow you. May we revere you. May we obey you. May we listen to your voice with intent to obey. May we serve you, Father, and may we cling to you. May we take you at your word and believe that we might see. And Father, would you open our eyes to those around us who need to know that you are the door. You are the light of the world. You are our great I am, the answer to all of our needs. In you alone is life and life abundant and free. So Father, would you use us to take that good news? Father, may we believe and see so that we get in on what you are doing and advance your kingdom for your name's sake and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.